Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold bad opinions of our mutual enemy, the devil, the liar himself, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we're on this this journey together, studying Christian dogma under the belief, the firm belief, that when God speaks... He speaks in order that we might hear him, believe him, understand him, and indeed even amen, speak it back to him. St. Paul teaches us to hunger for this truth, hunger for this amen, to watch your life, and he even uses the word doctrine closely. He just means the teaching. He means the truth. Because he says the time is coming when people will not put up with sound teaching, sound doctrine, sound truth. They'll, they'll chase after truthiness. It's to suit their own desires that they'll do this. They'll gather teachers around them to teach what their itching ears long to hear. But you, Christian, because you are bought with a price, it's not up to you to chase them. Rather, you're to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And so, Paul tells us, even help teach others. I have two guests with me, part of our regular uh, host here, uh, grouping here at Cross Defense, Pastor Jeffrey Reese. He's pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church of Tacoma, Washington, and Pastor Micah Glenn. He's executive director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri. Again, I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk, host of various shows here on Worldwide KFUO. Let's go ahead and say hello to our guests this morning before we dig back into Section 7 of Peepers Dogmatics, Volume 1. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having us. And if I can, if I can d- divert us for just a moment, uh, Micah, since the last time that we talked to you, I should say, Pastor Glenn, since the last last time that we talked to you, there's been some good news there at the Hope Center. Quite a quite a to do, if I'm not under, uh, misunderstanding it. Can you uh, share a bit about what's going on? No, absolutely. The building that we're working from, which is the Community Empowerment Center of Ferguson, which is owned by the Urban League of St. Louis and Salvation Army, we had our grand opening just a couple weeks ago, and it was just such a, a wonderful event. Um, and, you know, it, it was incredible because, you know, the Salvation, I mean, not the Salvation Army, sorry, but the Urban League, while there are Christian workers there, it's not a, a Christian organization per se. It's not faith-based. But Jesus was set from that podium so many times during the grand opening. I was just, I was blown away by the whole thing. And in terms of what what is the Hope Center going to do again? Just remind people in case they haven't heard this yet. Like the point of this, it's it's a it's a joint venture with us and some other other organizations. That, but the goal is not necessarily a church plant at the moment. Uh, what's the goal out there? Yeah. So uh, I mean, I, I basically try to explain it. That basically, we're a, a mercy center where uh, I'm the missionary on the ground. I make the connections within the community with the people on a daily basis. Um, preaching the gospel, trying to find out their needs. Uh, and then we as an organization try to find ways how we can fulfill those needs. And we're beginning with a program called Readers to Leaders, uh, trying to at least begin to approach the educational gap in our elementary schools, especially our public schools, uh, that is being held back a lot by literacy. And so that's what we're, we're working with first. And if somebody who's listening right now wanted to know a little bit more about the Hope Center or about how they can either join with or support what you're doing out there, where would they go? Uh, yeah, uh, we, so we have a Facebook page um, that's probably the, updated the most often. It's just the Lutheran Hope Center. But we also have a, a website that is up and going, www.thelutheranhopecenter.org. Uh, we have uh, all of the different ways that you can get involved right now. And if you're in the St. Louis area especially, you can uh, volunteer to become a tutor in our Readers to Leaders program. Uh, donate books to kids and all the different ways that you can get involved are on the website right now. 
Excellent. Thank you again. That's Pastor Micah Glenn of the Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri, an outreach of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. But for now, you know, what good is outreach without having a content to reach people with? And that is what Cross Defense is all about, trying to sharpen our minds with that truth that we've amended from the beginning. We've been looking at Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, a, a dusty old tome that you might not just pick up and read, but you maybe should. And we've made our way through about 40 pages of this now. We'll be picking up today day at Section 7 is on page 40 of Volume 1. It's titled Christian Religion and Christian Theology. And, and all of this first 40 pages, I mean, we aren't even yet to, what is it, on page 193, he's finally going to get to Holy Scripture as the topic he wants to talk about. So far, he's been talking about the nature and the character of theology, which, if you can put that in modern language, this is the, the nature and the character of the knowledge of God. Or, frankly, the way most Americans would say today what it means to be actually spiritual in the way that God himself is spiritual. He's covered a bunch of different directions. He's set forth what our position is, which is that scripture is infallible and we base everything on that. He's contrasted grace versus works, the two opposing forces for true religion versus false religion in the world. He's looked at how all the other religions in the world effectively teach works. He's looked at how getting away from Scripture is what causes divisions within the church, normally because it goes against grace and starts teaching works again. And he has emphasized that Christianity is an absolute religion. That is, we have nothing to add to or take away from. How, either of you guys, if you want to jump in here first, with what I just said there, and before we get into the, the, the Christian religion versus the idea of Christian theology, if we can divide those, how would all that I just said there, this idea that we need to distinguish Christianity from the religions of the world, the ways in which it's done, how does this, how is it important or why is it important for the average person in the pew to be able to, to understand this and talk about that? I mean, it, and let me play devil's advocate. I mean, it's good and all for pastors to be able to do that. They got to be able to talk theology. But, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a plumber. What good is this stuff to me? Well, the, the plumber's on the front lines. I mean, I, uh, my primary vocation as pastor is to care for the sheep that God has placed into the particular my particular congregation. Um, now, I do get out into the community during the week and so forth, but uh, the, my parishioners are out in the community in the context of their vocations. Uh, the, the plumber, the baker, uh, you know, the stay-at-home mom, whoever, they're, you know, they're interacting with uh, neighbors on a daily basis. They're interacting with coworkers, with clients, um, and you never know when you might uh, have the opportunity to give reason for the hope that you have. And don't you want to have, uh, don't you want to be as equipped as possible to do that? Uh, and the, the better you know the scriptures and the better you understand what is our theology, the better able you're going to be able to convey that hope to others. Pastor Glenn, I think that that answer that Pastor Reese just gave has to hit really at the heart of what you just said a moment ago about being a mercy center, that there is, it's not a hard line between doing a good work for somebody and having the opportunity to share your faith. Well, yeah, and I would really second everything you said. So if we were just a literacy program where we uh, brought kids in and, and we did reading help, uh, there would be no distinguishing us as a faith-based organization or any other organization that does literacy. But uh, we, I mean, at the forefront of everything that we do, you know, the, the Hope Center doesn't exist for literacy. It's just one of the things that's extended out of our desire to share Christ with the people of this community and help them in their everyday life. So without that proclamation of the gospel, 
uh, we wouldn't be doing much in my mind as far as advancing the kingdom of God, especially. So, and I'm just one person, and, you know, there are a few hundred thousand people up here, and I can't preach to all of them, and not even the pastors up here can preach to all of them. And so we need our parishioners to be walking alongside us, and uh, like Pastor Jeff said, to, to witness to their faith in a very clear and concise way that other people can understand. I used a pretty common word there, to witness to the faith. I like one of these old words that they used to use about 500 years ago, to confess, right? And, and I think both words have their place, but I'm still looking for the my, my preferred English word to talk about this, that there is a there is a place in which I don't need to do miracles. I don't need to, to, to find some kind of bold, creative, ingenuitive thing. What I really need most as a Christian, for both myself and for my neighbor, is the ability to repeat what God says said without necessarily reciting it. Let me let me try to give an example here. So if my neighbor across the, the back fence asks me, you know, give a reason for the hope that's within you. Let's, you know, it'd be nice if they said it that way, right? If they ask me, why do you believe what you believe? I can say, well, well, I believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And, and he might have a question, but I'll just keep going. Right? Who was conceived by the Virgin Mary? And I, I can recite the creed and that technically answers his question. But there you would think that there would come a point after we recite that thing enough times and we study it enough where now no longer is it just a matter of me repeating some words, but that I'm actually starting to think with these words, that the the theology, the knowledge of God itself has become the thing that drives my own brain as I have a conversation. I think that's the end goal, right? Oh, no, absolutely. It's so funny that you say that because my dad, he's the head elder at his congregation and I've been, you know, working with the local congregations, trying to get them excited to go out here into the neighborhood with me. And, you know, my dad, you know, he's, he's always trying to grow in his faith, and he asked me that question. Well, when, when somebody knocks on the door, they ask me about my faith, what do I say? I was like, I don't know, say the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And but and the thing is, I mean, what I've found though is that is that the more that I can I can rely on that creed as a recited thing in my head as my outline, Right. And so it tells me where to go next, but I I have to own it. I have to, it has to be not just something that I've repeated enough times that I can say it out loud, but I actually have to believe it. And maybe this is a little, you know, pietism talking in me here. Uh, but, I, but I think that that's kind of the challenge today is for really all of our liturgy, all of our doctrine to be more than just something we recite and something that we, we confess, something that we witness to, or the way our ordination vows at, at one point used to say that I take this faith and I make it my own. Pastor Reese, any thoughts? Well, where does the where do we get the creed? Where do we get the content of the creed? We get it from the Holy Scriptures. Um, if I really want to understand what it is that I'm reciting, I, I need to know the Scriptures. You know, I need to know what it means that God is my Creator. I need to know what it means that Christ is my Redeemer. I need to know what it means that the Holy Spirit is working through His Church. Um, I need to know what it means. You know, what what does it mean to be a communion of saints? Um, that the scriptures teach us all of those things. And so many of those things are really what inform our our life. You mentioned the communion of saints there too, and I think about how for myself, my my discovery of the Lord's Supper as a place not just where I commune with God, but where I commune with other sinners by virtue of our being joined to the same God. That that as I kneel at that altar, and you may not kneel at, at your congregation, you may have the, the walk by, I, I got no problems with that, but it, you know, figuratively, as you kneel at that altar together, Mutual enemies of God, 
by nature mutual enemies of each other, there is a power that that resonates in that reconciliation, which is which is purchased there. That when I go back out into the world, I literally live from right. I'm willing to die from mm-hmm. all all made by that by that theology, uh, uh, that knowledge of God that is found in the bread and wine. Well, I feel like everything that we do uh, around the bread and the wine also builds up that altar, if I can say it that way, so that uh, hopefully the the preaching that you heard that day uh, supports that that price that you were purchased with in the in the death and resurrection of Jesus and his victory over death and his resurrection, and uh, you know, and everything around it in your prayers. And so, you know, this idea that um, our 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 liturgy and our theology combined to the to a sense that our lives are lived through. There, I think there's a Latin phrase uh, <laughs> that corresponds to that. Well, if you can find it, I'd, I'd love to have it. What, what I what what you made me think of there also, though, is something that they taught us at the seminary, which is that the the body or not. I, I gave away my 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 answer there. The doctrine that we believe in, the the truth that the scriptures teach is called the corpus doctrinae, the body of doctrine, because it is a whole. And so when Paul's talking about there being Christ's body being one body with many members, yes, he is talking about us as individual Christians bound up into, into Christ, but that same analogy does work for the knowledge of God that's been revealed for us. Or if you think of it like a mobile above a baby's crib, where each piece of that mobile is a different edge of our doctrine, a different edge of the truth Scripture reveals— if you take away pieces of that, suddenly the mobile starts to wobble and it becomes unbalanced eventually. And this is what happens when you begin chipping away at the doctrine of Scripture, not only in terms of its content, but then as Pieper is most concerned with in our modern times, people have just attacked the idea that Scripture exists in the first place, that you can trust this book at all. Yeah, of course. Well, the, the Latin phrase that I was thinking of is lex arandi, lex cornetti. I never translate it perfectly, uh, but kind of this idea that our confessions and our practices align because they align, right? The rule of confession is the rule of practice. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the idea there, you know, the, I think it literally is the law of praying is the law of is law of believing, right? So that there, we go. there is no line between what you believe and and what you do that these things actually do harmonize at a certain point and so if you change the way that you worship or you change the way that you pray or that you change the way that you act it's going to affect the way that you believe likewise if you change what you believe it's going to affect the way that you act and that's what people is basically guarding us against so before we go into the break here, we've got a few minutes before the break. Let's just tackle some of this initial setup here. The Section 7 today, we, we may be at a loss a little bit for, for deep content because we can either go way into the weeds on this or we can kind of stay hovering at the surface. But it, it seems, I would think, to the, the average person on the surface that this distinction he's worried about right here isn't one that we really face too often. But maybe you guys see this somewhere that, that I haven't yet. So again, it's, the section is the Christian religion and Christian theology, because those words are being used to mean two different things, at least in his context and with, with the various conversations he's having. And so he says, in ecclesiastical terminology, that means the way we peoples in church talk, right? Uh, ecclesiastical terminology, a distinction is made between Christian religion and Christian theology. That is, there's a difference between these two things, or, or there may be. Religion 
in the subjective sense, that is, uh, something that is only experienced individually, designating the knowledge of God and divine matters which all Christians have. That is, the word religion can be used to only refer to that theology, that knowledge of God, that faith in Christ that all Christians, regardless of their denomination, regardless of their education level, they all share. My, my baptized infant has the Christian religion, and uh, you know, I myself, a trained pastor in the Missouri Synod, I have the exact same Christian religion. Whereas theology, in the subjective sense, he says, is that special knowledge of the teachers of the church, which what he's getting at here is not prophecy or divine revelation, you know, from from me in a corner with God and, and my stomach moving, but the recognition that the difference between me and my baptized infant's knowledge of how to talk about the Christian religion does exist. And there you can get better at that. You can be trained in that. Did I get that right, guys? Am I reading this right? What do you, what do you think of that distinction? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly where he's going with it. He's just trying to show this distinction, but um, he very quickly kind of shows that you have to be careful. You know, he, he talks about some want to uh, pull those two terms together as close as possible, and some want to separate them as much as possible. Um, and I like that he doesn't—he doesn't seem to define exactly where the line is between them. Uh, I, I think he acknowledges that they overlap. Uh, but he has, you know, his main point, if I can give that away already, uh, his main point is that both theology and religion need to have their source the same. And that, that would be the scriptures. We'll pick up with that and more on the other side of this break. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Stick around. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. As soon as you play, I'm playing. I'm saying my first drum second's your first beat. I'm saying first, you two feet, then we might stand up. Like first you get your hands, then I get your hands up. My sound, your throat, my dance, your feet, you hear my no heartbeat. The metronome in your chest keeps you in time till there's no time. So you sing till you got no breath. And whoever's next dances to the song you've left. Music creates movements, inspire movements. Where I am, you've been. There was you, then there was music. Music follows you. Concord Matters is a show seeking agreement in Christian confession. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen, one of the hosts of Concord Matters, heard on Worldwide KFUO each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central and a repeat on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central. We take an in-depth look at the Book of Concord with some fine Lutheran theologians. Concord Matters, live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Your smartphone takes you anywhere instantly. At a click, you can read, watch, and listen to just about anything. Some websites are good and some are bad. Some sites are truthful, but others are deceptive. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear the truth of Jesus daily on Worldwide KFUO. Using today's smartphone technology, KFUO brings the gospel to you where you are. KFUO is just a click away, 24 hours a day. KFUO.org. This afternoon, worldview, deconstruction, and reconstruction. Tearing down the bad ideas, but building them back up with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. You're listening to Cross Defense, and we are trying to wrestle with this unique distinction that Dr. Francis Pieper, 100 years ago, found to be a debate in the church that he was he was seeing. We don't really have this debate, at least not in these terms anymore, but the distinction between the Christian religion, that is the faith that all Christians share, and Christian theology, that is how much we understand that faith. And, and Pastor Reese, you had a little more to say about that as well as what both, I'd like to hear from both of you guys on recognizing that, that this distinction is important, whether we have an argument about it today at all, in that people who don't have like a pastor's level knowledge of the faith shouldn't feel guilty about that as if they're somehow less than a Christian, neither should they feel content that, well, I don't have to be a pastor, so who cares if I learn how to confess my faith? Well, sure, and I think that's the point you were getting at when you were talking about your uh, religion and your infant's, you know, your baptized infant's religion. Um, You both have the Christian religion. Um, Do you have a more depth of knowledge of the scriptures and the theology behind it? Of course. Uh, You're, you know, uh, you're an adult, uh, and you've been studying the scriptures for a very long time. Um, and but if you were to try to say that a a pastor is somehow, uh, I don't know if we want to go to the point of saying more Christian than a layperson because they have uh, a larger depth of knowledge, uh, we have a problem because what do you say about my uh, my my head elder's three year old granddaughter who died a few years ago uh, of a pulmonary embolism that nobody detected? Uh, did did she die less of a Christian because she did not have the opportunity in her life to uh, to grow in her knowledge of the scriptures? Uh, certainly not. Uh, you know, she's baptized. She was made a child of God uh, through the waters of holy baptism. Uh, Christ claimed her as His own, um, and that doesn't change. Uh, where I think the distinction becomes important, as far as why it's important for theological knowledge, is because it gives us. Uh, the comfort and the hope that we need in in this life it it keeps us firm in the faith uh, in the midst of the trials that beset us in this life. I think your your point there about the the child dying though I, I think this does strike at maybe not the child who who died young and in the faith but the idea that there's a wide a wide swath of American Christianity that does believe that there are levels of holiness. That you, Mm -hmm. as a Christian, after conversion, need to get closer to God. You're not really brought into full union with Him. And that the the way you attain this holiness, the way that you move closer to God, is through some manner of a combination of knowledge and or works, right? So maybe the knowledge Mm -hmm. isn't by studying the scriptures. It's by, like, praying a lot by yourself on a mountaintop. Or or maybe Mm -hmm. it's by doing pilgrimages, whether it's to a monastery or just to the Holy Land, right? But that there's this... You're not finished being holy yet. Jesus isn't enough, and you got to add to it. And just like that, we're back at grace versus works again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that part about praying on the mountaintop is why uh, Pieper is very careful to make the point here that whether you're talking about Christian religion or Christian theology, both have their source as the Holy Scriptures. Pastor Glenn, you want to chime in on this? Well, I mean, you know, uh, I think it's really been hit on the head. I mean, 
just to kind of reiterate, theology gives us answers, right? Re- religion uh, gives, does, in fact, gives us substance, but when, when things are, in fact, difficult in life, the theology that we're practicing is, is going to inform those answers. So if I'm really thinking that I have to get closer to God, when it hits the fan, I'm going to be searching within myself for those answers. Uh, but if my theology is informed beyond me and begins and ends in the Word of God, when things hit the fan, I'm going to start searching the Word of God, and I'll actually come up with the truth rather than something subjective that either is going to end up in some kind of rebellion for God making some unrealistic uh, standard for how I'm supposed to live or despair for not being able to live up to that standard. Yeah, that's so good. That, that gets to that my pointing in earlier about you want to be at a place where theology, knowledge of God, doctrine, whatever word you want to use, truth from the Bible is not just some, something you think about, but it's something that you think with, that is the driving factor of your brain. So when you do come to that moment where you have a child die, right? You're not going searching for answers, but you already have been told it so that you seek out the Mm -hmm. pastor who's going to tell you what you already know and remind you of this fact so you can stay established in in that kind of, that solid truth. Now, Dr. Pieper, then he does, as you said already, Pastor Reese, but we'll go ahead and read the text. He acknowledges that this distinction is a real one, but he's also going to be really careful in how he handles it, kind of like we've tried to be so far here. He says, we can accept, accept this distinction. Scripture teaches, first, that all Christians have a knowledge of divine matters for, quote, John 6, they all shall be taught of God, and, second, that the teachers of the church should possess a special knowledge. And he doesn't give us a passage here, but you have a number of places where, where Paul's speaking about requirements for pastors, says they must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, things like that, right? Uh, he says, but, and this is this is kind of the key that we don't want to fall off this edge, there is no difference between these two kinds of knowledge as to their source. That is, the pastor's quote-unquote holiness, if he has more holiness, is only that he's in Scripture more often, and it's the same full vicarious atonement of Christ that he's finding there again and again. He just gets more of that word present on a daily basis in his life than, say, an infant, per se. Uh, the, the teachers derive their knowledge, Pieper says, of God and divine things from the very same source from which all other Christians derive it, from Holy Scripture. There is no other source open to theologians. And, and here he is kind of getting at the real threat in his time, which is there was this idea, it's still around in various forms, that the the way you would find a, a deeper knowledge of God was not really from Scripture, but even behind Scripture, as, as historical criticism would, would go in and say, you know, well, Jonah wasn't real, but there's a deeper truth here that we can find, that kind of thing. Thoughts, gentlemen? Well, I well think you know, that's teachers where... are... Well, teachers are a part of the body, and they, they serve a very specific purpose. And that's, like you said, that special knowledge isn't some kind of uh, Gnostic, supernatural uh, knowledge that's imparted on pastors or, or whoever is teaching the Word of God. Uh, the reality is, is that they they serve a specific purpose. For the same reason, I'm not a doctor, so I doubt you, uh, Pastor Fisk or, or Pastor Rice, would come to me if your stomach was hurting and ask me to diagnose you. So the fact that we have people in the church uh, that are trained to at least know where to go to look for the answers on a, a ready basis, even if we don't have them, or and also to have the confidence to say, you know what, we don't know, is really important to the life of the church. Pastor Reese? Well, this kind of goes to the—you uh, could say this is the other side of the coin that we've been talking about. You know, we were talking about the young child who does not have a, a depth of theology because they— 
they have not had the opportunity to to be taught uh, that much yet. They're going to grow into that as they grow older, um, but they still have the Christian religion. They're, they're, they still have the faith. The Christ has still made them his own. Um, on the other side of the coin, there are people with a great depth of theology who don't necessarily believe what what they know. Um, I mean, I can I can use it as an example. I took a, a Bible as literature course when I was in my undergraduate years at Oregon State University. The teacher then knew Scripture backward and forward better than I do today. Uh, you know, after over you know eleven years of being a pastor and uh, lots and lots of studying, um, and yet he didn't believe a word of it. It really. I, oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I experienced the exact same thing when I was studying at Westfield. Uh, some of the professors at the University of Cambridge uh, Divinity Faculty were very devout Christian people, but then um, you know, I had an Old Testament uh, kind of lectionary type of deal where the the person leading the lecture just confessed that these this list of uh, prophets weren't real, based upon mm-hmm. what he thought. And, and you see what I mean? And so that that. At, at that point, that's where the, the religion and the theology begin to get distinguished because they're not being informed from the same place. It's important that we understand then, when he uses these terms religion and theology in this conversation, he's being very narrow as he defines them, right? So he's mm-hmm. not just, just painting with a broad brush. What you both just shared there from your past, so I, I remember how much it shocked me. It just totally surprised me to learn that there were human beings who devoted their lives to the study of the Bible without believing a word of it. And and that for them, somehow this is like Homer's Iliad, right? Like they just, they see it just as really cool ancient text and they gave their life to it. And as a, as a young Bible student, I was kind of, I, I couldn't believe it was possible, but it is there and it, it does tend to be, or it can be a, a great threat. It's, it's insidious if it begins to, to sneak into the church. Well, yeah, I think, they, it, they, I mean, it's been happening for the history of the church, right? I mean, that's where all these different heresies come from, where this um, desire to gain knowledge outside of the Word of God in order to, I don't know, uh, set yourself up or show what you know begins to take root, and then before you know it, you have a heretic on your hands, and that's, uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, the, the desire from the Word of God isn't that they be led into believing something else, but to believe the truth in Christ. Pastor Reese again? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, if you, I agree with Pastor Glenn completely. You look back at even Gnostic, as early as Gnosticism, which is really the, the earliest Christian heresy, because Gnosticism existed prior to Christianity. Um, all of it tends to be heavy on the theological knowledge side, but, well, first of all, if you don't have, uh, if you don't have the Christian faith, the Christian religion, then you're probably not going to get the theology correct to begin with. Uh, obviously, if you're if you're going down the road of heresy, your faith is in something entirely different than what the scriptures teach. I find it fascinating, though, too, if I can kind of pull us back and go in the other direction, because there's two sides of this horse that you can fa- fall off of. And the one is that you have individuals who are hyper-scholastics. They've got this really narrow knowledge of what the Bible actually says. And this, this can be somebody who's actually an atheist and very antagonistic to Christianity, who has this knowledge and can wield it effectively. But I also think of 
a lay person who is in the pew and and has effectively come to the belief that theology is not for them, that that this is the purview of the pastor, that that to read a book, say, on Dr. Martin Luther's experience of discovering the gospel, that this, this really not only just doesn't have a place or fit with them, but even to go further, it's not really their responsibility. So there's two edges to this, I suppose. One in which they feel weak and unequipped, the other in which they, they, in a sense, are are kind of lackadaisical and lukewarm. Yeah, I think you have that. Um, the the trick is to help lay people understand that uh, theology is every bit as much for them as it is for their pastor uh, or their their teacher. Uh, we we tend to just kind of I've even had I can't tell you how many times I've heard oh the large catechism that's just for pastors right no absolutely not it was in fact if you look at the preface it talks about the fact that this is for everyone uh the the small catechism was written for the average household because of the low literacy rate uh and, and you needed something that was simple that could be easily memorized and taught but that wasn't to say that if you could read the large catechism, you shouldn't do so, you know, because it's going to be a benefit to you. Uh, gosh, the more depth you can get into the scriptures and into the teaching of scripture, the better. And that great. Uh, the be- go ahead, go ahead. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just going to, I was just going to say that, you know, I mean, like I said before, it's for our hope. It's for our comfort. Uh, this world sucks. This world's throwing all kinds of garbage at us. And the, the, the more depth of knowledge we have of our theology, uh, the stronger that, you know, if you want to d- draw the distinction between Christian religion and Christian theology, the more depth of theology, the stronger our religion becomes. At that great diet at Augsburg, that great moment in the Reformation when, when Lutheranism, for what, lack of a better word, evangelical Christianity had to stand against the tyranny of the beast, it wasn't pastors who stood there reading the confession and, and saying, cut off my head if you have to. It was laity that did this for us. Mm-hmm. And and to, to recapture that belief, that certainty, that gravitas, I, I can't help but think that the, the future of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod as a stellar body in American Christianity, it's, it's so much connected to that kind of confidence, which ultimately, again, from everything we talked to up to this point, both today and on this show, is confidence in your own personal Savior, Jesus, and his work to save you and to be kind of active, feeding that faith. I'm going to go ahead and read another section here before we go to the break again, just to keep us moving forward. And this is where we can really get into the weeds, I think, a little bit. And so, you know, we'll hit it on the other side of the break, however you two want to do it. But uh, if you're listening out there in radio land, you know, don't 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 feel like this is going to make it all too much. It's it's going to be a little a little weedy and narrow, but it, it has a, a very important point. So he says, modern theologians are not agreed on the relation between religious and theological knowledge. That is the distinction we've been talking about. Not everybody even knows this is there, and they debate what it actually means. Some want to connect them as closely as possible, while others want to separate them as wild, widely as possible. What does he mean by that? At the present time, much is being written on the difference between religious and theological knowledge. He's got a footnote there. According to the scripture, uh, according to the scriptural, that is the Christian standard, we must maintain that religious knowledge and theological knowledge do not differ essentially regarding source and medium of cognition. That is, between the infant in the pew and the pastor in the pulpit, there is no essential difference in either their faith or where their faith comes from. That is to say, theological knowledge begins and ends where all the knowledge of all Christianity begins and ends. 
by believing the Word of God as we have it in Scripture. The theologians, the teachers of the Church, do not progress in their knowledge of the Christian doctrine one inch beyond God's revelation in His Word. That is the clear teaching in Scripture. So he's got two main thrusts after he says, you know, there's a bunch of debate about this in very narrow terms, very, very kind of maybe even, again, weedy terms. But here's the main reality. First, there's no difference between the salvation coming by the Word to both pastor and to people or scholar and to people. And second, never, never does this revelation come outside of, beyond, above, around, next to Holy Scripture. It's always in, with, and under that that actual inspired and inerrant text. Thoughts, guys? I keep going back to wondering, uh, he doesn't use the terms here, but I I keep thinking back to fetus qua versus fetus quae, you know, the the wonderful Latin terms we learned way back in seminary that I I always have a hard time keeping straight. I love that, though. I mean, to find that, that's such a great distinction. yeah, the fetus qua creditor, the faith which believes, uh, this is the, the saving faith that receives and holds the riches of Christ, uh, the, the things that he has won for us and holds them uh, for us. Um, and then there's the uh, uh, fetus quae, which is the faith which is believed, and I would maybe see that as the content of our theology. Um, and I, I, I wonder how close uh, Peeper is to, to that, that distinction. I think you're. I think you're spot on. I'm, I'm going to say it one more time because I think I, I wouldn't have seen that, but that is so spot on, Pastor Reese. So, the fetus, and I might say them them backwards here. Fetus qua, think of like faith in something, right? So you have right. this this uh, I have a faith versus fetus quae. This is the the faith as content that is believed, and you need both of these things. So no matter whether you have saving faith or or pagan faith, you have a trust, and you have the thing you trust in, and. Ultimately, the important one or the active one in Christianity is the thing that's trusted in, that is Jesus and his word. But the other one is also there and very much a part of our experience and our existence. And that's very much what he's getting at. Did I get that right there? Yeah, exactly. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. We've got more on the other side of this break. Where else are you going to learn Latin on a Monday afternoon? Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Sarcoma. Odds are you've never heard that word before. For the 40 people diagnosed with sarcoma every day, it is a life-changing word because sarcoma is cancer. Through awareness, advocacy, and research, the Sarcoma Foundation of America is bringing hope to the families whose lives have been turned upside down by a cancer they had never heard of until diagnosis. Please join us in the fight to find the cure for sarcoma. For more information on the work of the Sarcoma Foundation of America, go to curesarcoma.org. Did you know that of the flags of the 195 independent countries of the world, the flag of Denmark is considered the oldest continuously used national flag in the world, and that the flag's white cross symbolizes Christianity? Or that the flag of the United Kingdom combines the crosses of the patron saints of England, Scotland, and Northern Ireland? 
But did you also know only one country's flag contains a Bible? The national flag of the Dominican Republic presents a white cross dividing the flag into four parts. In the center of a shield flanked by three spears holding Dominican banners is a small cross. Some say above it, a Bible is open to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 2. Y la verdad nos hará libres, and the truth shall make you free. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Listening to Cross Defense, where we do believe the truth will set you free, and that truth is not just an amorphous idea, it is a clarity re- revealed in the Holy Scriptures of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And we're digging into what it means not only to have that as an external reality to us and an objective Word of God, but also the subjectivity of sharing that religion, which we can do no matter how much of Christianity you understand, you actually are are part of it when you trust in Jesus. And yes, yet that doesn't mean that we don't want to have more of that that quote-unquote theology, that scholastic or, or knowable knowledge of God that you can point to, that you can, well, confess again, right? So we got one more paragraph in section seven of Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics where he sent us off on this, this distinction between the Christian religion as we experience it and how much of it we know and we can confess and how we would engage it as a, as a textbook, as it were. And he says, again, there may be some weeds in this, so you got to bear with the passage a little bit, but he says, the textbook the textbooks in the divine knowledge of all Christians is excuse me the textbooks in which the divine knowledge of all Christians is systematically arranged according to the chief parts of Christian religion religion in the objective sense as doctrine are usually called catechisms or and my german is going to be terrible here religion schlere uh, handbooks of Christian doctrine and etc the manuals in which the special divine knowledge of the teachers of the church, theology in the objective sense, is presented are called textbooks of theology, dogmatics, systematic theology, scientific theology, dikrischlich uh, Lehr. oh man, in Weissenschlaftikler, Darstellung, oh man, uh, if you're out there, please don't get too mad at me for that. I'll, I'll do the Latin. having to do this and not me. Yeah, I'll, do, I'll do the Latin better. Formerly Loki Communis, Systema Theologica Christianae, etc. The point is that there is, you do have sort of two different ways in which the history of the church has written about these things. And I, the way I would define that today is that you have what we call devotional writings and you have scholarly writings. And they, they don't always portend to do the same thing, although I would make the case that maybe the difference isn't as big as some might like to think. I mean, notice, where did he put the catechism? He put the catechism in the devotional writings, not in the scholarly, even though that's kind of the way we treat it today. Um, You guys got thoughts on that? Am I I, I parsing that right? I think so. Uh, I mean, the way I've encountered the biggest difference, and I think in what he's talking about, at least... uh in my extremely young professional life is the difference in denominational life. And I, I hate to be the guy to bring that up, but I was on my vicarage in Alabama and trying to keep a long story short, I was <laughs> having breakfast with this uh, Baptist preacher, and he's, he was like talking about people being in and out of the kingdom of God, and he said his belief, his personal belief, uh, which didn't align with the church per se, is, is something that you're born into, as in a right, as in your uh, loyalty. Uh, before you were born. And so, of course, that creates conflict. We're both Christians, and yet our theology on something very important, uh, whether somebody is saved or not, is, is radically different. 
Well, I think your point there is is really deep, actually, on, on several levels, because some might try to say, in fact, I know they do, to take this fact that we all Christians, not just the infant and the pastor, but every Christian in every congregation that is a, a Christian congregation across the world, that we all do share the same religion. They might say that, therefore, we should stop worrying about the differences in theology and just all get together. And, and nowhere does this hit home more than in the practice of communion and whether or not people should be communing at the same altar with those who disagree vehemently about, well, election, uh, the Lord's Supper itself, baptismal regeneration, you, you name it, you know, put it in there. But the religion is used. In a, in a good sense, the word religion is used in a bad sense to get around real dangerous lies. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think I that's mean, kind of... Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, okay, I, I was going to say, I think this comes back to, you know, the fetus qua versus fetus qua. Um, and I'm, I'm think I'm, I think I'm thinking back to an article I, re- I read by Clement Price uh, a number of years ago where he talks about... Um, we would not say that people should be made Lutheran so that they can go to heaven. We say people should be made Christian so they can go to heaven. So in that sense, we all share the the fetus qua, the um, that which is uh, that which believes that that faith, that God given faith uh, that grasps onto the, the promises of Christ. Um, and at the same time, uh, we would not uh, we would not go the, to the other extreme and and say that, well, anybody can be Lutheran, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Uh, because as much as the fetus qua matters, the fetus quai matters too. What, what is be the content that you believe? And so that's why somebody might say, well, I'm, I'm, I don't really think of myself as a Lutheran, I think of myself just as a Christian. Okay, fine, but what do you believe? What is the content of your theology? Because that's going to identify you under a particular tradition. Well, and that's exactly right. I would never, you know, of course, this guy's a Baptist preacher. I, I mean, we only had one breakfast together. We didn't have continuing conversations, so I would never mm-hmm. uh, dare say I, I knew his heart or anything like that. But sure. I assume he's under the umbrella of Christendom, right? That he, right. when when Christ returns and we're all resurrected from the dead, that I will see that brother in Christ in heaven. The danger is, though, that he is a teacher and people do trust him. And so, mm-hmm. again, going back to, you know, how do you know stuff, the theology, when he's out in the world preaching to somebody, and he says, uh, you know, if you want to be a, not if you want to be a part of the body of Christ or anything like that, but if you're a part of the body of Christ, you're born into it, and this person who doesn't know Jesus because he's never heard the Word of God preached properly says, well, I don't feel like I'm a part of that kingdom. Well, then what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's really dangerous. Yeah, you need to be able to communicate the content of the theology and help them understand what makes them a child of God, what makes them part of the body of Christ. Listening to you guys have that conversation there, it it reminds me of of another kind of issue. It's a little bit of a side, but not not too much, which is that Lutherans or Lutheranism gets a bad kick for being too judgmental, right? That that we're up here on our high horse thinking we get all the the right answers and no one else is on the same same page or team as us. Mm -hmm. If you you take what we're saying seriously, we we actually don't think that. What we're saying is, right right now, is that in every Christian denomination that hasn't denied the Trinity, right, that that hasn't denied the Son of God being God or, or the Spirit being God, 
we believe that Christians and Christianity is present. If the scriptures are present and they're still using the Lord's Supper, that we believe that Christianity is at work there. And in that sense, if you compare our official position to most other church bodies, including specifically the Roman Catholic Church and, say, the Missionary Baptists, we're much nicer. They actually think that we're not really in at all, right? So so on the one hand, we're, we're quite a bit nicer. But on the other hand, we do have this, this firm belief, which is not based on us thinking we got the right answers, is based on us believing God has the right answers and that he's given us those answers in in Scripture itself. So where, uh, Pastor Reese, you mentioned uh, Pastor Preuss saying you don't need to make a Lutheran to, to have him go to heaven. I, I totally agree. We want to make them Christian. But the thing that, ma- what we believe is that the thing that makes them Christian is the words that we confess as Lutherans or the thing that we, the, right. the, the content of the faith that we trust in is what we call Lutheranism for lack of a better term. And I, I kind of right. read that we didn't have to call it that. Right, and 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 Pastor Price is only using that distinction for the purpose of explaining fetus qua versus right. uh, fetus quae. But I, I kind of it's like well, you were talking about uh, uh, Pastor Glenn was talking about having breakfast with the Baptist preacher, you know, and and without ever questioning uh, whether or not the man was in the kingdom of God. Of course, he is. You know, we're, we're at least we're going to presume that. Uh, we, we're not going to be that judgmental about that. Now, do we believe that the Baptist preacher is in error? Absolutely. But guess what? That Baptist preacher, if he really is, clings to the content of his faith, to the fetus quai, is going to believe the same of us. And, okay, that's fine, because now we can have an honest conversation. And so I can sit down and have breakfast with a Baptist pastor or uh, a uh, Presbyterian pastor or, or who, who knows, any number of people from any number of Christian denominations. I can have a, we can have a mutual love and respect even as we disagree on important points of theology. Uh, what, even more where we get that, the, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just wanted to interrupt real quick, because even because this is we, we had some discussion, even more than an honest conversation, we're going to use the same source. Exactly. Right. exactly, exactly, and that's the place where this can break down. The only place I've ever seen this breakdown in conversations with other pastors, uh, male and female, is when they come out and say Scripture is not trustworthy, and now suddenly we have no basis for conversation together as Christians. It, it, that's that's where the problem begins. And another place where the waters get muddy is, and it's similar to what you're talking about, is when we think that it's okay to water down our theology in order to make it more palatable to someone who normally would disagree with us. Well, anyone because who's going to make that... Now you're watering down the basis of our of our faith, and so therefore the basis of our conversation sort of dissolves. Yeah, anyone who's going to make that argument is de facto making the argument that the Scriptures can't actually be understood, right? Uh, that we, that right. we don't have this truth to rally around. There's there's one and a half, two more sentences here, which we can't go deep into, but we got a few minutes. I think we should just hit him. He does say, he has a question here at the end of section 7 on page 41, made the terms science and system be applied to theology, question mark. And he says, yes and no. Because of the importance of this matter, it will be discussed at length in the chapters, theology and science and theology and system. But I think he brings it up here because he is asking this question, is there a knowledge that we find in Scripture that is enough bigger or more more firm as content than simply our general faith, general believing in Jesus? The answer is yes. And so to organize that in any way is to, is to do systematic theology, right? To create a system of understanding based on what we do believe. And that this the, the tools of science, namely reason, uh, can be a part of this. And yet at the same time, that should never be something different 
than Scripture. And you guys can go anywhere you want on this. With the, with the, we got we got four or five minutes here, but the the place where wow. real fast, let me throw one at you. You can you can ignore my question if you want, or you can uh, you can go where you want to go. But the place where I think this is interesting is when I was at the seminary. I remember people talking about how th- there's this danger that the systematic theology would become its own thing, and that people would be so hung up on how the system hangs together that they would ignore passages of scripture. And on the other side, you would have this accusation that people would be so intent on reading what the scripture says that they never bothered to try to make it hold together. And have you seen that as a danger, or talk about whatever you want? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think I think those are both dangers. It's the same thing. It's it's a horse that you can fall off of one side or the other, and and you're going to have a problem. It's a slightly different problem, but uh, yeah, I mean, on the on the, on the one side, I think you have uh, sort of fundamentalism. This you're you're so focused on just looking at the text of scripture that you're not really thinking about how it all holds together. And so, this is where it's kind of funny because. Your average fundamentalist and your average anti-Christian atheist tend to read the scriptures through the same lens. Right. Uh, they, they, they tend to read the scripture as this sort of set of rules or this sort of formula to follow. And, and when you do that, I mean, that tends to, it, it tends to be the fundamentalist reading of scripture that I hear the most criticism of from atheists that I've had in, engagements with. Uh, in different conversations with, and they're always sort of taken off guard when I redefine scripture. Uh, in in the Lutheran way, and they don't really know where to go then, because <laughs> they've just never heard it that way before. Pastor Glenn, were you wanted to jump in there? I thought I heard you. Uh, well, not necessarily. Other than to say, you know, you, you know, you talked about reason, and, and that's, I, I mean, that's the system is applying the human reason that God has given us. Right? We ha- we do have brains. We do have thoughts into organizing what his word says. I mean, you know, it is a book at the end of the day, right? It's words on a page, and anybody can read those words and say, well, this is what it's saying to me. But, you know, if you use the reason found by those pages, given to us by God, you should come up with some kind of formal system. And is our system flawless? No, but it is pretty good. Right. <laughs> well, it kinda, it, to answer that, it depends on what you mean by system, too, right? Like, okay, so the way that we have, or, the, the the way that Doctor Pieper organizes his chapter headings, is it flawless and the only way to discuss Christianity? No, but is the content of it, at least so far as we're just uh, going to understand it, the content of Christianity, and in that sense, the flawless Word of God at work in the world? Well, then, then yes, and, and maybe yeah. you can see as a listener here how, why this is such a it's a narrow distinction, but one that is. Pretty important at the end of the day. Closing thoughts, guys. I think uh, the main thing here is that, uh, you know, yes, you can systematize the scriptures, but you have to make sure that the norm and the source for your system is the scriptures. Uh, that's critical. You can you can call uh, Christian theology a science, but uh, it depends on what you mean by that. If you're talking about science in terms of, and, and, and I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead. You're, you're going to be addressing this and who knows how long when you actually get to section 15. But, uh, you know, science is sometimes defined as, uh, as a systematized natural knowledge, uh, and, and we wouldn't go there. There is, certainly is a natural knowledge of God that can be had, but it is only through the scriptures that we truly know who God is. We only know God through Christ, uh, at, least not, at least in its fullness. If we only know God in a natural sense, the way science tends to be thought of these days, uh, then we only know a God ultimately of wrath. Yeah, amen to that. So it's important for us to understand when when we think of Christianity as a science or Christian theology as a science, 
we're thinking of it because it gives a certain knowledge and it gives a certain knowledge in opposition to other kinds of opinions or viewpoints or worldviews. Uh, it is a very definite, finite thing. Pastor Glenn, just about 40 seconds. Yeah, I, I just want to second that. Uh, I think Pastor Rice really uh, summed it up in a very beautiful way. And, you know, this is an important discussion. Of course, during the discussion, I, I've been reflecting on all of this myself. It, it is a, a very thin line um, that we, we have to hold in the forefront of our mind, and, and we have to put in the forefront of our people as well. As Pastor Micah Glenn, he is Executive Director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri, and Outreach of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And he had Pastor Jeffrey Reese, he's Senior Pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church of Tacoma, Washington, here on today's Cross Defense. Gentlemen, I really appreciate it so much. Thank you for being on today. It was great being here. And for the rest of you out there, what Pastor Reese said about the knowledge of God by nature is wrath that cannot be emphasized enough, which is why the theology, the narrow truth contained in Scripture as content, is the only final source for creating a religion, a faith within you that trusts in this God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Cross Defense, a weekly dose of worldview demolition and rebuilding universe. It's the only place you're going to find where old old school theologians never stop. (laughs) Theologians never stop rocking on. We'll catch you next week.